Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. We're going to pick up where we left off. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. <clears throat> Three weeks ago, we started this new series titled Saints in Society because what we're looking at is what Paul addresses in verse 2 of chapter 1. He calls the Christians in Corinth saints. Saints means set apart or it means holy ones. And so Paul is addressing them as who they are in Christ. They are saints. Saints is not a term that you arrive at, that you work into, that you gain through your own works or merits or behavior. It is a title given to you by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he spends the rest of the letter with this foundation showing what it looks like for saints to live in society. So he starts with, this is the core of who you are. This is the foundation. And here's my hope and goal, is that by the end of Corinthians, you guys are sick of hearing the word saints because it's drilled in over and over and over again. But my hope and prayers to the Spirit, you guys have a deeper understanding of what your true identity as a saint is and what it looks like to live in a response from that identity. And so we're going to be looking at that. And today the main point is saints share the same story. Saints share the same story. We love stories. I love stories. I love to listen to stories. I love to tell stories. We live in a society that loves stories, that tells stories, that shares stories. And I believe this is the reality, is we have this Bible that is made up of a lot of smaller stories that tells one big story about a rescuer and a redeemer. So it is a big collective story told by the greatest storyteller of all times. And if you actually look at a lot of the Hollywood media, uh, uh, movies, what I believe that you'll start to see and realize and understand is that Hollywood is even stealing from the greatest storyteller. Like, you can start to see that there's these princes and, uh, uh, princes and kings that come in at the end of the movies on, on riding in on white horses. Read Revelation 19. What happens? Christ returns on what? A white horse. And so we start to see that, 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 that this is a story and it's told by the greatest storyteller and we can start to see that we are drawn in as people to a story because we as Christians, as saints, has been written into the story of God. And we're going to look at that today and see that we share that in common. There's a story, it's one of my favorite stories. Not all of my stories are filled with me karate chopping people pre-Jesus in the throat, and so I do want to tell you guys a post-Jesus story. So it has a little bit more of a happy uh, ending. So uh, when I was 23, I started following Jesus, and shortly after that, we went out on my buddy's ranch late at night. He, he was not there, uh, and so we borrowed another buddy's vehicle. He had one of these, like, lifted-up Jeeps, and we were just going to go out and hang out on the ranch at night, just me and, like, three other guys. I didn't want to drive my one buddy's Jeep because it's really nice, and he's put a lot of money into it, and so we, we asked our other buddy to drive it, and he said, sure, I'll drive it. And so while we're driving on the ranch, we're going fast uh, around some of these corners, and one buddy in the back seat was like, hey, maybe you should slow down so you don't roll this thing. And then uh, uh, he was like, if we were going to roll this thing, we would have rolled it in Moab. Uh, and Moab is like a city in Utah where they do some, like, I don't know, rock climbing type stuff. <clears throat> Wasn't super aware, with, uh, aware of what that meant. But so anyways, that, that was a big statement. If we're going to roll this thing, we're going to roll it in Moab, all right? So I don't know, 20 minutes later, we rolled the Jeep. And uh, so he's backing up and he backs over the side of the mountain and we roll the Jeep. I don't think I was buckled. I don't know if anyone was. But in that... Th things happen somewhat feel like slow motion if you guys have ever been in those types of environments, but, 
But I, I, I was freaked. So we, we ended up upside down, and I could smell gas, right? And so um, I've seen enough movies. Uh, you got about three seconds before that thing blows, right? And so I did what any good friend would do, is I got myself out of the vehicle fast. Like, if there was an Olympic sport for how fast you get out of a vehicle that had just rolled, I would be a gold medalist, because I was out fast. After I got out, I did then check on my friends to see if they were alive and okay. So, but I knew the thing was blowing, so I've grown since then. Maybe I would do it differently now. But uh, that's what happened. And the story actually uh, 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 goes like this. We had to call the guy and say, hey, we rolled your vehicle. And so uh, can, can you come get us? Because it's flipped upside down. So he comes out with his, he's got this brand new, nice uh, new truck that he just bought. It's all nice interior, leather interior, all that sort of stuff. So on his way out to pick us up, <clears throat> he picks up another buddy to help him, and that buddy uh, thought that he needed a uh, six-pack. And so uh, they drive out to help us uh, get the Jeep onto the trailer. There was no drinking or anything like that involved for our party, just this one guy who was brought along to help get the Jeep back on the trailer. So we get it back on the trailer, we're driving back into town, and uh, I, <laughs> I'm not sure this is completely relevant to even telling the story, it's just, it's the full story, so you, you'll get all of it. Uh, I'm just going to repeat exactly what he says, but the guy in the front seat who, who, who was drinking uh, his, his beverages uh, was like, uh, to, to, to my friend, I'll just say exactly what I said, he was like, hey, can you pull over? He's like, um, I have to fart. And uh, um, my, my friend who was driving was like, then just do it, man, we can roll down a window, you know? Uh, and uh, he's like, no, 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 no. I, I need you to pull over. <laughs> and so he's like, no, 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 we're not pulling over. So he, and that, at that time, this nice new vehicle, he barfs through his fingers and all over the truck. I mean, it was everywhere. And, 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 and the guy was like, if you had to puke, then why didn't you say? He said, I, I didn't know. I, it was just a feeling in my stomach, and then it just all came out. <laughs> so here we are with my buddy, <laughs> in my buddy's truck, puke everywhere, a roll Jeep on the back, all belongs to him. And we are laughing, and we get out of the car, we are celebrating, and we are thrilled. Why? Because we're alive. In, in the midst of so much disaster and so much chaos, we, we didn't clean up the Jeep or his truck or anything like that. We were dropped off and, we're, and we were like, we're alive. Like, that's cool. That's amazing. Like, like we've just survived this and this whole night is chaotic. But here's the thing that I want to focus on from the story. Three things. is One thing is that we all share that same story. It's our story. There, there's no one who's in a better spot in the story. We are all just these guys who are other than Moab, man, were all these guys that were just rolled in this Jeep. <clears throat> the other thing is that we were all impacted by that story. So we all share the same story. We were all impacted by the story. And here's the thing. There was, it, 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 there was also lies coming in from other stories that impacted that story. And here's what I mean. Typically, vehicles don't just blow up, right? But I had seen enough videos and enough movies in Hollywood because those are false narratives or false stories that, 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 that were now impacting the story that I was in to make me go, I got to get out of this thing because it's going to blow, right? And here's what I would say is that saints share the same story. We are thus impacted by the story that we share and we need to know what is a false story that is coming against the true story of who God is and what he's done, what he's accomplished in Christ and therefore how we live out of that. So let's look at what... Paul in the Word of God has to say, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> I appeal to you, which means I exhort you, or I plead with you, brothers, kinsmen, family, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What is going on? What I want us to look at is this. Is it's important for us in this passage to know what Paul is not saying and what Paul is saying. So, what, what, what is Paul not saying here? <clears throat> and what is Paul saying here? But I think before we address that, we need to see this. That I gave you guys a sneak peek into the, uh, into the letter of 1 Corinthians last week and to see all the stuff that Paul is going to address. Sexual immorality, uh, divisions... Uh, men not acting like men, boasting, just spiritual pride, so much stuff that is going on in Corinth. Let me ask you this question. If you wrote a letter knowing all that was going on in this city with these Christians, what would you address first? What would you write about first? What would take the seat of priority? And for Paul, and for ultimately God, who's inspired the Word, What does he start with? Division, disunity, factions, quarreling, strife, petty arguments. Why? Why would Paul feel the need and ultimately God to address division inside of the church before he addresses everything else? I don't know if we have the slides for Galatians, but you can actually see here, I'll read through this quickly, this is from Galatians 5, 19-26. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What I want you to see is this. Instead of reading all this, is this. Is notice that first you have sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality then idolatry and sorcery. But then you have enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. What do you have? And then after that, you have envy. And then at the close, you have drunkenness and orgy. So what you have is like sexual impurities on both sides and sandwiched between it is a lot of relational stuff that's going on inside of a community. Why? Because you can't really address anything else that's going on inside of a community until there is some level of division. or I'm sorry, until there is no division or until there is unity. So if you want to address sexual impurities, if you want to address a lot of these things, you need to first have some unity that exists with something greater that binds us and bonds us together. Have you ever been in an argument with a spouse or uh, with anyone in a relationship when there's no unity and decided, I think now's a really good time to address a lot of other things that you're really bad at? Because it doesn't go well. It doesn't even go well, that super well, when there is a ton of unity because we are defensive. But in order to at least work on some of these things, address some of these things, this flows from a spirit of unity. Divisions in the church is what the Word of God goes after first. Why else? I think here's the bigger reason. Next slide. It stands against what Christ has done, what He's accomplished, and it destroys our witness to the world. John 17, 21 through 23, and then 13, 35, is that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may know, uh, that they may be one, 
even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world again may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why is it so important? Because when this isn't a mess, it affects our witness to the rest of the world. When the church has divisions, when we have quarreling, when we have disunity over petty stuff, then why would anyone ever want to be a part of the family? Think about it. Because the rest of the world already divides on everything that's non-essential. The rest of the world is already segregated based upon race, based upon your social class, based upon your politics, based upon what you believe about vaccines, based upon so many different uh, uh, other things. The world is divided on all these non-essentials. And so if Christians are doing the exact same thing, that's exactly against what Christ came to abolish, dividing walls of hostility. Instead, He created one people, one body, founded through in Him His finished work. Division, disunity goes against exactly what Christ brought in. No social class, no race, none of these things. All are one in Christ. So this is where Paul goes first because he knows that it's going to destroy the witness to the rest of the world. And, and like I said, who would want to be a part of it? So that's what he says. That there be no divisions. But what does this mean? That all of you agree. A more literal translation, uh, translation of that, many scholars would say that the more literal translation of that is that you all agree, is that you all say the same thing. That you all say the same thing. And, and, and so here's what Paul isn't saying. Like I said, we, we, we need to figure that out. What is Paul not saying? Paul is not saying this. Paul is not saying that you need to be exactly the same and that you need to agree about everything. I rarely ever, if ever, ask you guys to show a raise of hands, but just for the purpose of this text, let's do this. If you agree with me on the next things that I'm going to say, please raise your hand. If you disagree, then just leave your hand down. Okay? Just going to show an, an, an example that this is not what Paul was trying to do. If you believe that Dumb and Dumber is the greatest comedy of all time, raise your hand. Okay? All right. Th three. Cool. The rest of you are dead to me. <laughs> if, if, if you believe, like I do, that country music is the best music of all time, go ahead and raise your hand. L let me, this is me embracing you guys right here the best I can. Just, this is my hug for that group of people. <clears throat> I love you guys. <laughs> if, if you think Calvinism is the best form of providence, raise your hand. <laughs> okay. If, if you think being an all-millennial is the best view of eschatology, raise your hand. Okay. Cool, one. All right. If you, think all, if you think millennials spend too much time focusing on visions and dreams and, and living for the entrepreneurial dream than actually for the kingdom, raise your hand. Okay, there's more of you on that. If you think retired folks spend more time living for retirement than for the kingdom, raise your hand, because I think that. Good, good. If you think that politics are boring, raise your hand. <laughs> if you don't care, <laughs> raise your hand. Okay, cool. <clears throat> Here's what Paul's not saying. That we agree on all of those things that we agree on everything. What Paul is saying is that we agree that saints share the same story. The story of the gospel, the message. The message is what matters. The story of who God is and what he's done and accomplished in Christ. A triune God 
stepping into humanity through his son, telling us and revealing us what he's done and who he is by his inspired divine and errant word, saying that salvation comes through another way than through faith in Jesus Christ. Those are essentials to the Christian church. Those are essentials to, doc to doctrine. Paul is saying that we agree that we share the same story. In other words, what's really cool is that I've used this as an example before, but even amongst the shepherding team, we'll say with Brian, Caleb, and Ronnie, is that we disagree on a lot of stuff, probably theological stuff as well. But what we can do and what Christians can do is say, oh yeah, I totally disagree with my brother or sister on that. I totally disagree with them on that. But you know what? We share the greatest story in common. And that is our meeting ground and that is what we share in common. That's greater than anything else. Oh, we can disagree on all the other stuff because the other stuff doesn't define us. What defines us is who God is and what he's done in Christ. And so we say, yeah, saints can actually disagree with one another, still love one another because we have something greater to agree on. That we share the same story. What is Paul saying? That we share the same story. That, that we agree on the essentials. That we agree on what truly matters. And look at what here, what he says here. That we be of the same mind and judgment. Most commentators would say this actually means same uh, attitude would, would be same mind. So have the same attitude and have the same judgment. So purpose. So have the same attitude and judge. Uh, uh, have the same attitude and purpose. One other scholar, a respected scholar who I completely respect, said this, that actually sound judgment means voluntarily, volun uh, is, is voluntary constraint to your own wishes, to everything you want. In other words, learning to die to your preferences. Learning to die to your preferences. And, and let's be honest, uh, I, I remember, uh, uh, sorry to call you out, Tony, but one of the first uh, times I got together with uh, uh, coffee for Tony Metcalf. He says that the older you get, the more preferences that you start to have. And it's true. The older we get, the more preferences we have and the more preferences we have in church. I, I don't like it when the pastor stands up. I like it when he sits down. I like it when they do this. I like it when they do this. And, and what he's saying is, is at the end of the day, you have to learn in a community to start to die to some things that are actually just personal preferences to live for what is ultimate, the kingdom. And we're not that good at that, honestly. I'm not that good at that. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So Paul is just saying that, hey, I've got the report. You guys are quarreling. You guys are disputing. And, 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 and then he goes on in verse 12 to say, this is what it's about. I mean, <clears throat> it's that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. What's going on? Here's, here's what's going on, is that you actually might not be divided by who you follow inside of the church world, but maybe you're divided with your allegiance and where you give your allegiance and your loyalty to. But here's the thing, is that many people still do this in 21st century, is they, they, they draw their lines with what pastor they, they align themselves with. You know? And do you know what, what, what the uh, culture of Corinth was great at? They, they were just really prideful. In a sense, what Paul is addressing in all of this is just our pride in learning to die to our own selfishness. And, and the Corinthians were just really selfish, prideful people who loved to boast. They loved to name drop. Let me give you an example. You know, I was thinking about who my favorite pastors were, and I was thought of my real close friend, real close friend, personal mentor of mine, Tim, as I call him, Timmy K., Tim Keller, many of you might call him. 
And I was like, I, I like him. He's a real close friend of mine. But you know who else is a real close friend of mine? Chan Man. You guys might know him as Matt Chandler, but I know him as Matt, uh, Chan Man. So he just, he's, he's kind of who I align with. Just, he's a little bit more dynamic, and I like his dynamic charisma. But I also like Timmy K's, uh, um, I like his uh, intellect, you know? And, uh, um, but also, like, I like my boy John MacArthur, Johnny Mac. He's, he's probably one of my closest friends, I would say, out, out of the four I, w- I will name. Just, just uh, personally, just is impacting me so much. But I don't think he'd want us quarreling about these things. But uh, I, I like the way that he's just direct. But, again, I don't want to live out Tim and uh, Tim Mackey, Tim, Timmy Mack, my boy, because he's probably the smartest out of all of them. And I really like it. And do you know what people do is, is, when, is when they start talking about their favorite preachers and pastors, they actually oftentimes don't talk about the message or the story, but they talk about all the different things that these guys possess. Chandler's humor and charisma. Now, I will say this. These are, these are like my favorite guys, right? So I, 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 I love these guys, and they all have their different styles. But what draws me to these guys and what should draw us to, to these guys is they all share the same story in common. They all have different platforms. They all have different ministry opportunities, but they are all in agreement on the story that they share in common. And do you know what else? I don't agree with uh, these guys on multiple areas, but I agree with them on the most important, that we share the same story of redemption in common. But name dropping is, is awful. Have you been around people that do it? Or, the, or just so you guys know, I don't know a single one of those guys intimately <laughs> from Adam, and they don't know who I am. And likely never will. But I used to have a martial arts instructor that every time he would teach you a move, he would tell you where you learned the move from. And it was always some guy. And he would say, I'm a really close friend, so-and-so. I'm like, just show us the move. But it's name-dropping. And what they're doing here is they're just name-dropping. And they're aligning themselves with these leaders instead of saying what, what Paul goes on to say in verse 13. Look, look what he says. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's he doing? He's asking them where their allegiance lies. Where's your loyalty? You can't divide Christ. Christ is not a kingdom that can be divided. He even talks about that. Where's your loyalty? And I think that's a good question for us this morning. Where's your allegiance and where's your loyalty? Is it to a certain leader? Is it certain to a certain preacher? Is it to a certain pastor? Or is it to the story? Is it to Christ, the sovereign king? Where do your loyalties lie and your allegiances lie as a person? In other words, what... Where is your heart divided? With who or with what have you given the majority of your heart to? Where is it divided? Because that's what's going on here. Do you know where we divide our hearts? Relationships, people, jobs, things like that. Our hearts get divided. And it causes division because any time that anything other than Jesus Christ takes the central role inside of a person's heart or inside of a church, then divisions follow. Because now it's about puffing up the chest boasting, talking about all the things you have. We're more about education. We're more about this. We're more about this or this instead of, in, in, instead of the gospel. And here's the thing. I would rather GCC not exist at all than something other than the gospel be preached or be at the center of the community. Truthfully. But what was going on is they were aligning themselves with everything else and with everyone else because their hearts were divided. In fact, Paul asked these I mean, deeper questions that we can quickly read over is, was anyone else other than Jesus Christ, did anyone else other than Jesus Christ die for you? Then why do you give your heart to so many other things? And, and, and men and women in this room, I would ask the same thing. If, if Christ is the only one who died for you, then why do you pledge your allegiance and your loyalty to so many other things? 
instead of the king. Verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So this is Paul. This is the saddest thanks that we probably see Paul giving. Is He's thankful that he didn't baptize anyone uh, except Crispus and Gaius, that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Uh, then he's like, well, uh, I did also baptize the household of Sphonus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. What does he go on to say? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Before we get there, let's say this. About 14 through 16. Is that Paul doesn't want them to boast. Paul doesn't want them to brag. Paul doesn't want them to say, well, Paul baptized me or I, I align myself with Paul. And we know from Acts that Apollos was this was a sophisticated speaker. We know from the, the culture of Corinth that they loved philosophers and they loved to align themselves with the eloquent philosophers of their day and say, that's my person, that's who I follow. And we know that Paul didn't come, though he was highly educated, like we talked about weeks ago, highly educated. He didn't come with lofty speech. He came with fear and trembling. Yet he had all the degrees in the world. Apollo spoke boldly. He spoke eloquently. That's not how Paul spoke. Paul doesn't bash Cephas or anyone else. Paul just goes on to say, where are you divided? And here's what I'll ask you. Is this. Are most of your arguments inside of marriage, inside of friendships, inside of relationships, inside of the workplace, are they they because you are fighting for the kingdom and the glory of God or you are upset because of something you are not getting? And whether that be your way is ultimately what you're fighting for, the family of God, and, 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 and to see people's growth, and, and to see disciples made, to see people know Jesus. Are you fighting because you didn't get a raise, the promotion, or recognition? When I was preparing the sermon, I realized that, the, that the, the way my heart is divided and where I worship other things is mostly just myself. Because I saw a list of names that, 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 that was being published that, that were speaking at a conference. And I was like, how come I don't get on that list? You know? That's what I started to think. And then I ended up uh, in, in my office just like, just had a bad attitude. And then my wife calls and she's like, what's going on? And, and, and I told her and, and I was like, man, I, I hate that, that, that what I do is I become so divided and so focused on what I don't have instead of what I do have. Instead of what I do share. And the reality is, is that every one of us, here, here it is, every one of us has all been tasked with the same role inside of God's story, to go and share his story with the rest of the world. And we will all do that from di- uh, in, in different ways. Some in the room are teachers, some are coaches, full-time employees, moms, whatever it is, you are tasked with the same job as a saint, and that's to be a storyteller, to tell the story. What story? I'm going to read you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones says this perfectly, and I don't want there to be any confusion about what God's Word is all about. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote His message everywhere because God created everything in His world to reflect Him like a mirror, to show us what He is like, to help us know Him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words, too, and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some of you think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. 
The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It is about God and what He has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you will soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, listen here. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is that it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves His children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers His name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is a child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait. Our story starts where all other good stories start. Right at the beginning. What's being communicated? The story that I'm talking about, that I'm saying that we all share in common, is the story of how God has rescued humanity through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ, and in the story of what He's done, we see the perfect hero. The Bible tells the story of this rescuer named Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Jesus was the only saint to ever walk the earth. Perfect saint. Set apart, holy in every way. But do you know what He did? He went to the cross to to become broken and dirty and shameful. Why? Because we all share the same role inside of this story as well. We are desperately hopeless, helpless, broken sinners. We all share that in common. That's where we come. That's where we arrive in this story. But in, in through Jesus and in faith in Jesus Christ, we all walk away what? Glorious, hopeful, beautiful saints that are holy and have been set apart through faith in Him. You see, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for what we deserve so that the love of God could be poured out on us for what we don't deserve. Through Jesus, what we see is that the author actually wrote himself into the story. The author becomes the rescuer of the story. The author is in the story making rescue for humanity. We go from sinner to saint. And not just that, but we get to be partakers, co-heirs with Christ. So our role and our task that we all played in the story before Jesus was broken, helpless sinners. After Jesus, we all are saints. And we all share that in common. And here's the thing. I hope and pray for our church moving forward into this next season that we would be people that put to death our own personal preferences and that jealousy fits of uh, anger and, 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 and uh, a, a culture of comparing would just die. I really do. That is my hope and prayer because I pray that what everyone in this room understands, there is no super saint. Rick is not a saint above other saints. Rick is, has the same exact role. I'm sorry, the, I, 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 I have the same exact identity that everyone in this room has in Christ. Saint. 
And we all have the same tasks, storytellers. Our job as Christians is to go out in society wherever God has placed us, not by accident, but through his perfect providence, and tell the story of what he's done because it's beautiful. And it's what Christians stake their lives on. We don't stake our lives on a false narrative. What's a false story? A false story is that God is just really angry at you all the time and he's just waiting, as Lynn Jacobson says, for an opportunity to smoke you. Many people, Christians, believe that. But there's also many in the world that think that it doesn't matter how you live. You can just just do whatever you want. You can pledge your allegiance to whatever. And that's also a false narrative because God calls for his allegiance through Jesus Christ. And he's paid for your freedom. I would say this, that the story that Christians celebrate is the story of the gospel, which is good news. And as the saying goes, through Christ, it's all said and done. So what do we do? We realize that some lived in this story pre-Jesus, before the cross. We live post-Jesus, after the cross. But I want you to know this in closing. Is the Bible has, we love a happy ending. I love a happy ending. Maybe, maybe you're dark. But I love a happy ending. The Bible has a happy ending for the saints. It really does. He comes and makes all things right. The pain that you feel right now, the brokenness that you feel, the sickness that you have, all those things are done away with. Because the storyteller who wrote himself in, who rescued us, is coming back again to make all things right once and for all. And the saints will be there together wearing the same outfits, the robes of Christ. We'll be there telling and sharing the same story with one another about how he's the hero, he's the redeemer, and he's the one that's rescued us. I pray that now, for us, right now, today, for the week to come, for the weeks to come, and the years to come, that we would squash anything else that rises up against us to say, my brother or my sister shares the same exact story as I do. And we are co-heirs together in that. They've been gifted in different ways, and I can value their gifts, knowing that they are tasked with the same thing I am to be a storyteller. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story. But thank you not for just a story, for the story that all the other stories fit inside of. Look to, it's the ultimate story. And not just that, thank you for writing our names into your story. And I pray we would celebrate that. I pray that we would celebrate it with so much joy that our names are written into your story and that we get to be saints, co-heirs with Christ partakers, Lord, of your love from the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.